And so we are at a breaking point in our healthcare system. And when you look at the underlying root causes of poor health, diet-related diseases make up over 75% of that $5 trillion spend. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor. I am really excited to be recording my first podcast of 2023 with Samanda Citro-Alexander, who is the CEO and co-founder of BiteWell, which is a really innovative concept around getting all of us eating healthier and being healthier. Um, But I'm going to let her tell you all about it. So welcome to the podcast, Samantha. I'm really happy to have you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. This is a great way to kick off the year. I feel the same way. So why don't you start by just giving us a little bit of a summary sort of of what BiteWell is, and then we can go into how you decided to do it the way you're doing it and and why. Absolutely. So at BiteWell, we are pioneering food as a health benefit. One of the crazy things that led us to this solution is that healthcare spending in the U.S. alone is going to top $5 trillion by 2028, if not sooner. Mind-blowing number. Mind-blowing number. And unfortunately, no one in the ecosystem of care can afford it. Not the providers, not the payers, not the employers, not the patients. And so we are at a breaking point in our healthcare system. And when you look at the underlying root causes of poor health, diet-related diseases make up over 75% of that $5 trillion spend. So why aren't we addressing the problem at the source, which is diet? When you look at healthcare benefits spending in the U.S., a very small percentage of it goes toward nutrition programming and basically zero dollars, not literally, but almost, go toward food itself. And so we are asking the provocative question, why? Why is that? And how can we change it? That is our mission. We are going to improve the world's health through food. And we're doing it through this platform that allows employers to offer healthy food. Healthy is defined through an individualized scoring system. So it truly is tailored to your health needs through the BiteWell platform, which acts functionally as a multi-vendor marketplace, bringing together restaurant meals, grocery items, meal kits, basically anything that you want to eat into this very shoppable marketplace that then scores those food items for you based on how they fit within your health needs and your health profile. That sounds amazing and also complex. So I want to sort of dig in a little bit to how you decided, first of all, I think it's so cool that you went through this employer route versus trying to get people to do it. Cause everyone's been trying to get people to eat better for since the beginning yeah, of time, right? Forever. And there's no, the, obviously there are incentives, but not financial at the moment. And so talk about how you decided to go down the employer route and then we'll get into how you figure out individual, cause it's complicated, right? You have to get through the employer and then understand the individual's health needs. So how did you get to that path? Yeah, absolutely. And I think January 4th is a perfect day to start talking about this because 
this is the time when people typically set resolutions around eating better. And I was looking at a stat earlier today that eating healthier is the number four most popular New Year's resolution across all age groups from 18 to 75. And the problem is how do you do that? Historically, there have been two options for you. You could either focus on dieting and planning. So all of the meal planning solutions that exist out there, meal prepping. And to do that, at least for me, was totally unrealistic. I don't know what my day is going to look like, let alone what an entire week of my life is going to look like. And the ability to navigate food around that is really hard. So planning was never an option for me. The other thing that you can do is focus on tracking and tracking software. Once I eat the food, I input the information, and that helps me to understand what I have eaten, but doesn't help me to shift my behavior going forward. And so when we were looking at where to live in the solution space, it wasn't going to be planning. It wasn't going to be tracking. We really wanted to focus on that moment where you're standing in line at Sweet Green or you're scrolling DoorDash or you're wandering the aisles of your grocery store looking at the 600 protein bar options in front of you and trying to figure out at the point of purchase what to eat for you. And so that is why we zoned in on this moment, this very shoppable moment in terms of providing individualized food guidance. We originally launched this marketplace as a direct-to-consumer tech solution. We had about 1,500 users on the platform last year who were running a pilot with us, and they loved it. But what we quickly realized is that it was going to be you know, prohibitively expensive for a young startup company like us with limited funding to go direct to consumer and to be able to get enough critical mass to move the needle. And so we started chatting first actually with insurance providers and they directed us to the employer route. They were like, we're getting this question from tons of our customers. Hey, do you guys offer a healthy food solution or some kind of nutrition solution that will actually work for my team? And they sent us on that path. And we've been down it for about six months. We have amazing clients and lots, lots more in the pipeline and roster. And it's just hitting. It's amazing. And it's such an incredible pivot because I there are a lot of apps. And I think that as humans, we get confused about what to do with all of them. And so having something that's connected to something else that's really important to you feels really smart. And I'm assuming based on the level of excitement that you're speaking with, that you've had a lot of success with employers. Can you talk a little bit about what kinds of employers and how you're reaching them? Are they big? Are they Fortune 500 companies? Are they global? Are they local? Yeah, absolutely. So Chris, my co-founder and I, and Charlie, who runs our sales team, have really been pounding the pavement and going after Companies that focus on employee wellness, which should be all companies, but realistically isn't. And so we're focused on companies that have made an outward commitment to that at the beginning of our pipeline. That's how we've been able to get our first subset of employers. Our first employers on the platform are generally small to mid-size, so below 1,000 employees because they can move really quickly. And we're seeing, you know, two to three month contract cycles for those types of employers. We are in conversation with multiple Fortune 500s, but the contract cycle is a lot longer. So we haven't hit yet. What's really interesting, kind of if you peel back the top layer, which is company values and size, the things underneath that, that are driving companies to work with us were surprising to me. 
one of the things that has hit over and over again is the fact that employers are trying to figure out how to handle remote hybrid in-office work and provide food benefits to employees who live across all of those different ways of working. And that has been a place where our platform has been able to really slot in well because we can address an entirely in-office team. We can work with an entirely remote team and everything in between. So we're able to empower employers to offer food benefits parity across all workers, not just their in-office team, but also their remote team. That's really cool. And it's so important because as we all know, there's a bazillion ways of working now and every company has their own. And so that's cool that you can do that. How does at the end of the day, right? People have to use it for you to be successful. So how are you finding people using it? Are they liking it? How do you, I'm really curious about how you customize per person when there could be hundreds of employees in any given company. So how does that work? Yeah. So if your company has signed up for ByteWell, you'll get an email, a text, whatever your preferred mode of communication is, letting you know that you now have this awesome food benefit through ByteWell and to download the app. One of the things that we work with all of our companies to do is to provide a monthly food stipend that they drop into the Bitewell account to spur those initial purchases. So you get a text that says, hey, here's $100 a month that you're going to have in this Bitewell account to order healthy food entirely on us. So of course, you're going to download it. You're going to give it a try. Once you're there, you fill out an onboarding that helps us to understand your health needs. You tell us your allergies, your dietary restrictions medical conditions, medications, a whole gamut of things, but it only takes about 90 seconds. So it's not super, super in-depth, but enough to give us the power that we need to provide individualized recommendations. So nothing on the BiteWell platform is blanket, quote unquote, healthy. We look at your needs, your food preferences, what food you like, your ordering habits, and we score things for you based on all of that. What's interesting is that Once a user has ordered with us three times, they're hooked. So once we get you to order three times, you're with us for, so far we have a little bit over 15 months of data and people who order with us more than three times have been with us for the entire 15 months. And so our job is to figure out how to get you to order three times. That's when people start to really see the benefit. And talk about how they order. What are their options? Is it like, how did you make those connections? Because this is a really complex system you've got going, right? You've got employers involved and then you've got, so you've got to sell the idea to them. Then you've got people who are ordering from your app and then you've got the places that you've connected with, right? So it's very complicated. Yeah. And we love all of the vendors that we work with to make the marketplace happen. So we connect with delivery and logistics vendors in the food space to bring food into the marketplace. So, you know, people like delivery.com and DoorDash and Uber Eats for restaurants, we connect directly with grocers and also through food grocery delivery platforms for grocery. We connect with meal kit companies directly and through aggregators. And it's through those delivery and logistics partners that we're able to populate the marketplace with food. What's really beautiful about that for us is that it means we don't have to touch food delivery, logistics, or manufacturing. We are just the connective tissue Mm -hmm. that brings the food supply and your health needs together under one roof. So theoretically, I could go on the app if I had it and I could order from Sweetgreen through Uber Eats or Wegmans 
food delivery, like Instacart kind of things. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Exactly. So I could do it all through the app and then understand how it's affecting theoretically my body and my health. Exactly. So how do you guys make money? In a couple of different ways. And none of them include charging the end user anything. So the first way that we make money, of course, is through our relationship with the employer. The employer pays a per employee per month subscription for access to the Bitewell platform for their team and for access to all of the underlying data that connects you know, food purchasing to health outcomes and helps them to drive a healthier workforce. Mm-hmm. So that's one. The second way that we make money comes through our vendor partners. So for every order that's placed on the platform, we earn a take rate that comes from the vendor partner, not from you, the end user. So those are first two ways that we make money. And there are a few more ways that we make money over time if health outcomes are positive and those come from the payers themselves. And so we have, you know, we're a multiple revenue stream operation, which will also help us to scale and achieve our global mission over time. Can employers see the data about their employees, like what they're purchasing and stuff, or is that no? No, they can see information on aggregate. So they Mm -hmm. can see the scoring system that we use, we call it a food health score and it's zero to 10. How does this food impact my health? And so they can see the food health score for their organization how it's changed over time, the composite of the types of orders for their organization. They can set goals for their organization, but they can't see down to the individual. Like I bought pizza last night at 11 PM. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Interesting. Um, And is there any fitness component to it or is it solely food-based? Today we are solely food-based. I think that, I mean, I think that's the place we all need to be starting. I think that's the problem with New Year's resolutions. You're always exercise focused at the beginning of the year. And, you know, I think it's like 90% of the of diet is affects you and 10% is fitness, or maybe it's a little different, but it's not, it's pretty dramatic. It's close. I've heard 80, 20, I've heard 85, 15, like it's somewhere in that realm. But it's somewhere over 80% yes. of, about is diet. Yes. So let's focus on that. And absolutely exercise. I am not telling anyone not to exercise, yep. but let's not over index on exercise and under index on diet. I think it's phenomenal what you're doing. Talk about your challenges. There must've been, I mean, I know you had some because you pivoted and you went to employers. Talk about the challenges you're facing right now going into 2023 and beyond. We have had no shortage of challenges as I'm sure <laughs> almost every, every, every startup, startup founder I I say that any startup founder who tells you that everything is going swimmingly is either lying to you or delusional. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Just not possible. It's not realistic. Our first challenge, as you alluded to, was figuring out go-to-market. We tried multiple different go-to-markets, direct-to-consumer, through dietitians and nutritionists, and then ultimately landed on the employer channel where it felt like for a long time, we were pushing a boulder up a hill, like trying to get yeah. people to understand what we were doing. Yeah. And we finally started, you know, pushing the boulder downhill or letting the boulder flow downhill. I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor, but when we switched to the employer channel, things really started to click. And I think it was both us finding the right channel and us finally hitting the right time where yeah. there was a lot of national conversation around health and nutrition and healthcare spending. And that conversation is not going away. So we finally hit 
the right go-to-market at the right time, which was hurdle number one to solve. Our next hurdle to solve is that we have probably like six years worth of product development that we want to squeeze into 18 months somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I say that and laugh, but but I mean it seriously. The entire world is moving so fast mm-hmm. that what was once okay to take three or four years to develop now yeah. needs to come out in 12 to 18 months. Otherwise, someone is going to get there sooner. And yeah. so that's our biggest challenge is like, how do we prioritize? How do we you know, hire fast enough? How do we ensure that the lead that we have now continues to be a lead 12 yeah. months from now? Do you have any oh, yeah. more competitors, like anyone you consider doing the same-ish thing as you? I don't, I've never heard of anything like this. No, not yet, but I'm positive that they're out of there. Course, but that's amazing. I mean, right now you do have, you're right, the lead. Have you raised capital? We have, yes. Um, we, we raised a couple million dollar pre-seed and we're closing on a seed round right now. And yeah, that, I mean, that was a huge challenge too. Like I so hard. don't, yeah, it's so hard. And I don't know, we were raising our pre-seed in kind of mid 2020 into early 2021. And what we were hearing from the market is like, this is the easiest time ever to fundraise. Fundraising is, you know, a founder-friendly sport right now, and it did not feel that way to us. I think that COVID made fundraising really challenging. And then post-COVID, the economy has made fundraising really challenging. I mean, you used to be able to fundraise on a, you know, we, we are making money even though we're not profitable, but there's a lot of money. Like that was a good enough sort of discussion, but now it's like totally opposite. I think it'll swing a little bit back into the middle somewhere where it probably belongs, but it's been really tough for founders, I think over the past three years. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in 2022, I think 2021 was probably still a a relatively good year for fundraising, but 22 was rough. Yeah. So, so yeah. A backup question for you. What made you want to do this versus what were you doing before this? And what made you think this was the the way you wanted to go? Because it seems really hard. Like it, it, it sounds like it was really hard at the beginning and there are always challenges, obviously, when you're starting something that's this different, but what made you want to do it versus a regular job? Yeah. So I spent the majority of my career in the beauty industry and right before I left to start Bitewell, I was at Estee Lauder Companies in North America marketing for Smashbox Cosmetics, which was really fun. I loved a lot of things about the beauty industry, but I knew that it wasn't where I wanted to spend my long-term life because it wasn't where I was passionate. I worked with colleagues who loved makeup or loved skincare and felt like they were changing people's lives by providing these tools that make you feel beautiful. And you are. There's so much good about the beauty industry, but I wasn't driven passionately in that way. I was driven by the business problems that we were solving and like the creativity around makeup, but not by the product itself. Mm-hmm. I've always been really interested in food and I became aware originally of food's impact on the body's health when I was pretty young. So in the early 2000s, myself, my sister, and all of my cousins all at the same time were diagnosed with different allergies and dietary restrictions that changed the way that our family ate entirely. And so that was my first exposure as, you know, 
11 year old to uh, how the foods that I ate could make my body feel really, really bad. Yeah. And so I have been on a life quest to figure out what foods I can eat to make my body feel really, really good. And as part of my beauty journey, my first job in the beauty industry, I worked for this really cool startup called Juara Skincare. And they were inspired by the Indonesian herbal medicinal tradition of Jammu. And so it was through that job that I learned about things like turmeric and galangal root and these herbs and roots and spices and ingredients that they were using in skincare that they also ingested and used internally. And so that's when I became really interested in food as medicine, kind of my, my earliest playing around with it. And then fast forward 10 years, I was introduced to Chris, my co-founder, he was exploring something in the space and I decided to leave beauty land and build something that I firmly believe the world needs. Was it a hard decision for you? Because you had a really great job at an awesome company and I'm sure you know, you were really rolling the dice, right? On something that no one had done before. Different than even starting another beverage company or a kombucha or something that's been done and done and done. And there's, there are case studies and things that you can go to and say, well, I know how they were successful because they talked about it and everyone's done it, but you didn't do that. You went to something that no one had done before. Yes, it was hard. And it was also the only decision to make. I'm a very intuitive decision maker. And so Every move that I've made in my life has mostly been driven by my gut and not my head. And I knew, like I felt that this is what I needed to do. And as soon as I decided, it became very easy to make the switch and say goodbye. And that doesn't mean that the first year was easy. It was probably the hardest ego hit that I've ever had in my life going from, you know, a great job that people understood that made the money that I needed to live a comfortable life to a company where we didn't even really know what we were doing yet, let alone how to communicate that externally, making $0 the first year was really hard. Yeah. It sounds really scary, actually. (laughs) It is. I mean, being a founder is scary and also so exciting because the rewards are huge. And it's, I'm not even talking about financial. I'm talking about feeling so excited by what you do every day and having a real purpose and seeing lives change. It's such a great, great thing to do. What's your uh, co-founder's background? So Chris is our food and bev expert. He was the co-founder or is the co-founder of Koya, Mm -hmm. if you're familiar. Yep. And then also of Limitless caffeinated sparkling water. And they sold to KDP in early 2020, which is when he started working on the bite wall concept. Amazing. So exciting. What, where do you want this company to be in three years, five years? Like what does the future look like for you? If you get, if you have it your way. That's such a hard question to answer because there are probably, well, it's not really, there are two answers. The first answer is Over the next five years, I would like us to have really ingrained ourselves in the U.S. market and start expanding globally, which brings its own set of really unique challenges and probably lots of adjustments to the product, honestly, to fit culturally into the needs of the globe. I think that's what starts in five years. Over the next five years, as we're getting there, I think the way that we deepen our distribution within the U.S. is by 
investing in our healthcare connections and our healthcare insights. And so you can imagine a world where we know so much about not just your, you know, long-term health or your annual labs or what your DNA says about what foods that you should eat, but also your sleep the night before, how you exercised over the past week, your mood that we know with precision what food you should eat at any given point in any given day to feel your absolute best. And we're providing that level of, you know, not even just hyper-individualized recommendations, but hyper-targeted recommendations minute by minute. Yeah. Do you ever see yourselves partnering with like, I have all the, I mean, I have every fitness app that there ever was. And there's one that I really like, like, do you ever see yourself partnering with any of those where they, because some of them you can monitor, you know, your variable heart rate and all the things that tell you if you're under stress. And then if you can connect that to the foods that you're eating and why sometimes things are different, I think that would be so interesting. Have you guys thought about that? Yep, absolutely. And it's on the short-term roadmap to connect with biometric devices tracking apps and labs. And then we'll be able to start building that feedback loop between food and health, food and health. Do you think you'll ever go back to direct to consumer at some point once you're really ingrained with all the companies and corporations and people really understand what you're doing? Maybe. Dream state, right? We are in some way government subsidized so that the application can be free to everyone. And want then the government to care about our health. I want the government to care about our health. I know. That now is you're a, really dreaming. <laughs> that is quite an uphill battle, but it is, it is one that we're fighting. So, glad so yes, in this dream state where the government cares about our health and is subsidizing the cost of bite well for everyone, they also, or insurance providers also are subsidizing the cost of food. That's really, if we're talking about, you know, 10 year end goal, my 10 mm-hmm. year end goal is that healthy food is covered entirely by insurance and government bodies for everyone. I love it. It's amazing. It's so great. I know we're getting to the point where it's going to be long, but I want you to talk about advice because you've gone through a lot of interesting steps. You've pivoted, you've changed your business model a little bit. What would you say to people who are starting or struggling? Maybe a couple of things that you would say, these are the things you have to keep thinking about. Yeah. So the first thing that I would say from a mindset perspective is I think we are our own worst enemy 99% of the time. And for me, my enemy is ego and how I compare my success and my speed and my rate to success to others. And so what I would say, number one is have a conversation with your ego. And see if you are getting in the way of you. Don't rate your speed of success based on the speed of success of others. Every business is unique and different and like really embody that. The second thing that I would say is if you're hitting a ton of friction, there's probably another way. So instead of trying to kind of bulldoze your way through, which is needed in some cases, Take a step back and think about if there are other ways that you can kind of get around the mountain and you might come up with something that works 10 times better for your business. That's what happened for us with the employer channel. It was like we were trying to bulldoze through direct consumer and it was just way too expensive for what we could achieve. So we figured out how to go around. 
And then the third piece of advice that I would give, I don't know if this is just starting out, and I actually can't take credit for this advice because it was recently given to me. So perhaps when you're kind of late seed stage, you've got some product market fit, you've got some customers, especially as a female founder, what I have found myself doing is saying, I don't need to hire for you know, a head of operations because I'm pretty good at operations. So I will just sit in that seat and my own seat and drive both buses. And that's not going to work for me for very much longer. And so I would say, delegate the thing you're best at. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's such good advice. Your energy, which is awesome, reminds me of, do you know Ashley? I think it's Ashley Thompson. She's the founder of Mush. No. She is, that's such a great brand also that is very- I love their brand. Oh, good. She's amazing. And she has such good energy. And she's, I think we were talking on the pod, the interview I did with her. And I think that the term that came up was compare and despair, which reminds me of the first thing you're saying, like, you have to just ignore what's happening with other people because you can't let that be your guide or your barometer for how you're doing, because it takes longer for some things. And, and I also love the pivoting comment because- I think when you're a founder, you sort of feel like the struggle's part of it and the and it's hard and it has to be hard. And if it's really hard at the end, it's going to be really great. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not always true. Maybe it doesn't always have to be so, so hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that it does. Sometimes it does for sure. And that doesn't mean that grit doesn't factor into it. But especially when it's your company, sometimes you become so married to a product or so married to a creative or a go-to-market that you're missing the bigger opportunity and what your customer really wants and needs. Amazing. I love it. Well, I really appreciate so much your time and all your advice. And I'm so happy for you guys and I'm rooting for you and I can't wait to see where, where you go. Thank you so much. And if I may, if anyone is listening and wants to either provide healthy food benefits to their team or wants their employer to provide healthy food benefits for them, please get in touch with us. We would love to help. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.